You're listening to the Relevant Truth Podcast. My name is Roger Mason. This podcast is dedicated to examining biblical truth. The Bible is overflowing with relevant truth useful in our everyday lives. Thus the title, Relevant Truth. The Bible was relevant to those that first heard it through the apostles and prophets. It is also timeless truth, which means that is relevant for us today in the 21st century. It is my hope that through this podcast, you will be both encouraged and challenged as we look at the Bible together. In today's podcast, we want to examine the parable of the unmerciful servant from Matthew chapter 18. What does this parable teach us about forgiveness? That is what we want to look at today. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 18 and start reading from verse 21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. But he was not able to pay. His master commanded that he be sold that his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But the servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved, and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers till he should pay all that was due him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. The context gives us important clues in interpreting the parable. In verse 21, Peter came to Jesus with a question about forgiving a brother. In verse 21, it says, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Rabbinical tradition taught a repeated sin should be forgiven three times. But on the fourth time, there was no longer any obligation to forgive. This was based on an Old Testament teaching found in Amos. Amos 1 and verse 2. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions and for four, I will not turn away its punishment. 
This was a poetic expression talking about the certainty of God's judgment, but it is not a proof text supporting the limitation of forgiveness. This phrase that I've just read to you in Amos 1 and verse 3 is found in verse 6, verse 9, verse 11, and verse 13 in Amos chapter 1, also in Amos chapter 2, verse 1, 4, and 6. So this phrase is repeated quite often. Peter was being generous by offering to forgive his brother seven times, but Peter was still setting a limitation on forgiveness. Jesus responded to Peter's question in verse 22. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. That's Matthew 18, verse 22. Forgiving someone 490 times speaks of setting no limits on our forgiveness. By the time you have forgiven someone 490 times, you're well on the way of developing a habit of forgiving and will not need to set limitations on your forgiveness. The point is not to keep count at all, but always be willing to forgive. Forgiveness without limitations. Who could keep count of that many offenses? Unfortunately, many people do keep a record of wrongs done. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 5 tells us that love keeps no record of wrongs. The New Living Translation reads, Love keeps no record when it has been wronged. The New Century Version reads it this way, Love does not count up wrongs that have been done. After Jesus responded to Peter in Matthew 18 and verse 22, he then proceeds to give us the parable of the unmerciful servant. This parable reinforces the power and importance of forgiveness. This parable deals with forgiveness between brothers. Brothers forgiving brothers. See verses 15 and verses 21. Verse 15 says this, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. Verse 21 says this, Peter approached Jesus with this question, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? We are talking about forgiveness in the context of family and the church family. Make no mistake, I am not saying that our forgiveness should be limited to the family of God. We should forgive anyone who offends us. But forgiveness, in most cases, needs to be offered to those who are closest to us, because it is those that are closest to us that often wound us the deepest. So what does this parable teach us about forgiveness? First of all, forgiveness is undeserved. Verses 23 to 27. It is not unusual for a king to audit their books to see if their stewards have been faithful. See verses 23 and 24 in the parable. In this case, one of his stewards had been repeatedly borrowing, or we could say stealing, from the king's treasury and owed him 10,000 talents. This was an enormous sum in those days. Jesus exaggerates the sum of money that this man owed in order to make a point. What was that point? 
that the man owed an enormous amount of money that could never possibly be paid back. And this, of course, is a picture of our sin, that our sin debt can never possibly be paid. The total annual taxes for Palestine was 800 talents. One talent was the equivalent of 20 years' wages for the average man. A talent was worth about 6,000 denarii. Denarii is plural. Denarius is singular. A denarius was one day's wages for a laborer. We read this in Matthew 20 and verse 2. Now when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. 10,000 talents was an insurmountable debt equivalent to millions of dollars. In today's buying power, this would probably be the equivalent of over $10 million. The command that he be sold and payment be made indicates that he was being placed in a debtor's prison. Think of it, attempting to pay off a $10 million debt. In our day, to pay off such a debt would be impossible. It would be even more impossible in the first century. An entire lifetime of service could never repay such a debt. Our sin has created such a debt, which can never be paid back. This story points out the huge hole we have put ourselves in through personal sin. Our sin is like a $10 million debt, which could never be paid back. All of us are in big trouble. We owe a debt that could not be paid. But Jesus paid a debt that he did not owe, and that is the good news. Now it says in verse 26, that the servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. That's Matthew 18 and verse 26. This servant was either completely delusional, or he was a great liar. He was delusional, thinking that he could pay back a $10 million debt. He was a liar, thinking that he could take advantage of the sincere and just king. I believe that he was a liar, demonstrating a complete lack of sincere repentance because of the way he treated his fellow servant later in the story. The man was not ashamed about the money that he had stolen. He was only ashamed because he got caught. We see no change of heart in this man. See, a change of heart involves a sincere and authentic repentance. And I don't believe that we see an authentic repentance in this man. The compassion of this king released this servant from his debt and forgave him. His $10 million debt was canceled. What a picture of God's forgiveness of our debt of sin. Our debt has been paid by Christ. We are set free from it forever. This was a pure act of love and mercy to forgive this servant a $10 million debt. He did not deserve forgiveness, and we also do not deserve God's forgiveness. God gives us what we don't deserve, complete forgiveness. God's forgiveness does not contradict his justice. God is just, therefore he requires the payment for sin. That is why Jesus died in our place on the cross for our sin, satisfying divine justice. This enables the Father to forgive us our sin 
and offer us mercy. This story clearly points out that forgiveness is undeserved, but forgiveness is offered out of compassion. Secondly, forgiveness must be received. Verse 27 and 32. Let's read verse 27. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. The master was moved with compassion. This is the Greek word splangnidzomahi, which is translated move with compassion. It's one word in the Greek. This word is used four times of Jesus in the Gospels, and each time it is used, he performed a miracle. Mark 1, verses 40 and 41. Jesus was moved with compassion, the Bible tells us, and healed a leper. Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him, and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand, and touched him, and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And then in Mark 6, it tells us that 5,000 men were fed when Jesus was moved with compassion. That's Mark 6 and verse 34. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them, because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. Many sick were healed in Matthew chapter 9 when Jesus was moved with compassion. Here we have a summary statement about the ministry of Jesus. Found in Matthew 9 verses 35 and 36. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sick and every diseased among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And then in Matthew chapter 14, Many sick were healed in Matthew chapter 14 when Jesus was moved with compassion. Here we have another summary statement about the ministry of Jesus. This is Matthew 14 verse 14. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them, and he healed their sick. This shows us the compassion and mercy of our loving Heavenly Father. Jesus demonstrates the compassion and mercy of a loving Heavenly Father here in healing the sick. God has an extravagant love and mercy that almost seems wasteful to us. Why waste such extravagant love and mercy on those who don't deserve it? We don't deserve God's love or mercy. Remember the woman who brought the bottle of very costly oil and she poured it all over the head of Jesus? This is found in Matthew 26 and verse 7. It reads this way in the New Living Translation. During supper, a woman came with a beautiful jar of expensive perfume and poured it over his head. All the disciples, especially Judas, thought about the waste that had just taken place literally throwing away money by anointing the head of Jesus. What a waste, the equivalent of a year's wages. This act, this extravagant act, demonstrated the woman's love for Jesus. But others looked upon it as being an extravagant waste. 
The cross demonstrates the Father's love for mankind. It also seems like a waste, the waste of a life, the waste of the only begotten Son of God dying on the cross. The servant pleaded with the king for more time to repay his debt. Remember the two options that we gave you? That this servant was either delusional or a liar? Again, I think that he was a liar because of his pride and a complete lack of a sincere repentance. There is no gratitude expressed in the cancellation of this $10 million debt. There is no change of heart, no sense of remorse, no evidence of an authentic repentance. This man remains unchanged even when he was shown such great mercy. Think of it, hearing these words, I forgive you your debt, and that was a $10 million debt that was forgiven. Wouldn't such an act of mercy bring some kind of grateful attitude? Wouldn't such an act of great mercy bring some kind of grateful response? The cost of this forgiveness was expensive. The master lost $10 million in the forgiving of that debt. When we forgive someone's debt, we absorb that indebtedness. What he owed them, he lost it. In this case, it was a $10 million debt. Our debt, our forgiveness of sin was expensive. It cost the only begotten Son of God his life. Maybe the servant said to himself, I got away with it. My master bought it. I managed to convince him to forgive me of my debt. What a break. I'm really good at this. Did the servant receive the master's forgiveness? I don't believe he did. The servant received the cancellation of the $10 million debt, but I don't believe he received the master's forgiveness. The heart intent of the master was to forgive him his debt, his great debt. Did he appreciate what he was given? No, I don't believe he did. He doesn't appear to have a healthy appreciation for the forgiveness that he was given. I don't believe he received the forgiveness that he was offered from the king. Instead, he believed he had outsmarted the king by his own craftiness. He played on the good heart of the king and outsmarted him into canceling his debt. There was no need to receive a loving and merciful forgiveness from the king because he had done it on his own by outsmarting the king. God is a God of mercy. He has given many of us believers and unbelievers alike his patience, his mercy, and his long-suffering. God sends his rain and sunshine on all kinds of undeserving people. Many take it for granted. What is God to do with those who ignore, deny, and refuse God's forgiveness offered through Christ? Forgiveness must be received. We gratefully accept God's forgiveness. Look at the king's words in their second meeting. This is found in Matthew 18 and verse 23. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you your debt because you begged me. Let me give another scenario of one who doesn't receive God's forgiveness. The servant said, I will work and I will pay my debt. We all know that this would be impossible. 
the servant could not possibly pay this debt off. But this servant was determined to do it. The king said, I forgive you your debt. The servant heard it, but he did not receive it. He continued to serve the king with a determination to pay this debt off. Doesn't this sound a lot like many Christians today? We strive so hard to be righteous, to be good, to serve God, so we will please him, so that we would be accepted by him. We literally are striving for the wind. The book of Ecclesiastes uses this term, grasping for the wind. It is used nine times in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's talking about a man's vain pursuit of things that he cannot possibly obtain. God's mercy and forgiveness cannot be earned, cannot be obtained by our self-effort. To strive after personal righteousness is to strive after the wind, to grasp for the wind. It cannot be done. You don't have to earn or strive for mercy or for the forgiveness of God. We just receive it because he freely offers it to us through Christ and his atoning death on the cross. Thirdly, forgiveness must be a way of life. Verses 28 to 31. If one doesn't receive and experience forgiveness, they are not going to share that forgiveness with others. Not soon after this servant was forgiven his debt, he found a fellow servant who owed him money. The Bible says that he went and found the fellow servant shortly after he had been shown mercy by his master. The fellow servant owed him a hundred denarii, a few hundred dollars. The emphasis in this parable is the smallness of the amount. Matthew 18, verse 28, the NAB. When that servant had left, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a much smaller amount. He seized him and started to choke him, demanding, pay back what you owe. But rather than forgive him, he grabbed him by the throat and demanded payment in full. Look at the fellow servant's words in verse 29. So his fellow servant fell at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me and I will pay you all. Do these words sound familiar at all? These were the very words that he used when he fell down at the king's feet and asked for mercy. Matthew 18 and verse 26. Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. These were his words. These words could have reminded him of his own experience and the mercy that he was shown. But did he remember this? It seems not. What the servant owed him was an insignificant amount compared to what he owed the king. What did he do with the servant who owed him money? He had him thrown into prison until he paid his debt. This action makes no sense at all. It was purely revenge. He had been given forgiveness. He was doing the opposite of what he had received from the king. The servant's ability to earn money was gone as long as he was in prison. The unmerciful servant did not receive the forgiveness given him by the king. He did not experience forgiveness and thus was unable to share forgiveness with his fellow servant. That's what I believe was going on here. The forgiveness offered this servant was refused and he became hardened and hurtful to others. 
hurting people hurt others. When we truly receive forgiveness and truly experience God's love, it will change us into a loving and forgiving person. Those people that experience forgiveness are those people that become forgiving themselves. Jesus said it, freely you have received, freely give. That's Matthew 10 and verse 8. God's design is that we receive forgiveness, we experience it in our hearts, and that we share it with others. Forgiveness becomes a way of life for us. That was God's intention for the Christian. Why? Because we have received it ourselves. We are forgiving because we have received forgiveness ourselves. Matthew 18 and verse 31. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. They use the word grieved here. Some translations use the word greatly distressed. It means to be sad to the point of distress. They were bothered by the events they had just witnessed and reported to the king what they saw. This servant did not give to his fellow servant what he had been given. Why? I believe he really had not assessed the great forgiveness that he had been offered by the king. He did not sit down and think about the glorious forgiveness that he had been given. A $10 million debt had been forgiven. He just threw his fellow servant into prison because he owed him a hundred bucks, which he could have paid in time if he hadn't been thrown into prison. What was he thinking? I believe it was pure, hateful revenge because there was no reasoning in this action. We have broken down this parable into several sections dealing with forgiveness. Forgiveness is undeserved, 23 to 27. Forgiveness must be received, 27 and 32. Forgiveness must become a way of life, 28 to 31. Finally, let's look at the last section of this parable. Unforgiveness carries severe consequences, verses 32 to 35. This parable emphasizes the principle that we should forgive others because God has forgiven us. Let's read Matthew 18, 32 and 33. Then this master, after he had called him, he said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? The Lord's Prayer emphasizes this same principle and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That's Matthew 6 and verse 12. The Apostle Paul taught this same principle. Ephesians 4 verse 32. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And then Colossians 3 and verse 13. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, 
so you also must do. Colossians 3 and verse 13. The principle is emphasized over and over again. Based on the forgiveness we have received, we must forgive others. The forgiveness we have been shown, we show to others. What we have been given, we give to others. It is a wonderful grace and compassion that we have been given by the Lord. And this is what we should show to others. The Lord paid our debt and granted us full and free forgiveness from our sin. We need to do the same. Freely we have been forgiven. Freely we need to forgive others. An authentic Christian is both forgiven and forgiving. A Christian that is forgiven but not forgiving is not a Christian. The world's worst prison is the prison of an unforgiving heart. When you have an unforgiving spirit, you put yourself in prison spiritually and emotionally, and you pay dearly for the luxury of carrying a grudge. George Herbert said it this way, and I quote, He who cannot forgive breaks the bridge over which he himself must pass, unquote. Unforgiveness breaks the bridge to God's forgiveness. We burn the bridge to God's forgiveness when we choose not to forgive. To refuse to forgive others is to imprison ourselves and cause ourselves personal torment. A Christian lady once said, I will forgive her, but I never want to have anything more to do with her. A fellow worker said, is that the way you want God to forgive you? Do you want him to say he will forgive you, but he will have nothing more to do with you? We need to think about the consequences of our unforgiveness. Matthew 18 verse 34. And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. In those days, a debtor was submitted to torture to make them disclose all the sources of income. There is a torment that comes with unforgiveness. Some of the most tormented people I have ever met are those who have refused to forgive others. This is not even considering the eternal consequences of unforgiveness, eternity in hell without God. This is the conclusion of the parable. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. That's Matthew 18 and verse 35. The conclusion is clear. God will not overlook our unforgiveness. God the Father offers us the forgiveness of sin through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross who died for our sins that we might receive that forgiveness. We are totally unable to pay our own sin debt. It is like a $10 million debt that could not possibly be paid. We don't deserve the forgiveness, but God offers it to us because he is a God of mercy and love. Forgiveness must become a way of life for us as a believer. Freely we have received forgiveness. Freely we give forgiveness to others. But only a forgiven heart is capable of doing this. 
Let's pray. Father, please forgive me for all of my sin. I want to receive your forgiveness from my sins through what Christ has done for me on the cross. I believe Jesus died in my place for my sin. I receive your forgiveness. I want to follow you as my Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Mm-hmm.